The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2021 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycindy.com. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side and leave the, leaving the crowd, they took him with them, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, them, him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? with me. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this fun day that we got to have. Thank you for this conference. Um, Lord, I just pray that we can see more of you through this lesson and open our eyes and our ears um, and soften our hearts, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that we would trust in you over ourselves, God, and I pray for the speaker, Patrick, that you would just speak through him, Lord. Um, amen. Yeah, all right, all right. Thank you, thank you. Well, good evening. It's good to be with you. Way to finish up the conference. I don't know about you, but it, to me, it feels like it's gone way too quickly. It seems like we just arrived yesterday, and it's already almost time to leave. As they said, my name's Patrick. There's a picture of my uh, wife and family, my wife Tara, and my three boys, Lincoln's 14, Isaiah's 12, and Chase is 8. Uh, I live and work in Columbus, Ohio, so go Bucks and go Bearcats, right? Who's, who's playing tomorrow? So go Bearcats. So I love Ohio. I do love the Buckeyes and the Bearcats. Um, however, I grew up in Kentucky. I was born and raised in Kentucky. And so I feel like these are my people as well. Uh, in Kentucky, the only sport that really exists is UK basketball. So I have always been a UK basketball fan. Sorry, Louisville. I still love you. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Uh, I grew up there, but then I lived in Indianapolis right here, two miles from here, for 10 years. Uh, my wife is from Indianapolis. This is her hometown. We got married two miles from here. And so uh, Indianapolis is close to my heart. I lived here during the uh, Peyton Manning glory days from 02 to 12. So I am a Colts fan and a Pacers fan. And it just happened by being here. Um, so we love Indianapolis, love being here. Uh, but when we lived here, for my wife and I, if we ever wanted to do something fun or special, we'd take a road trip to Chicago. That's where it's happening, right? That's where you do something fun. Uh, so I love Chicago, had some great times there, but also I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and everyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s that was a boy, you want to be like Mike. So the Bulls were my team. There are no professional teams in Kentucky except UK basketball, but the Bulls were my team, right? So I loved Michael Jordan. I loved the Chicago Bulls, Hart there. Uh, but also my wife, I would say, she would say, one of her most formative experiences for her faith 
happened in Chicago. She spent a summer while she was in college uh, working in the city with some ministries that do things in the city. So she learned about the needs and worked side by side with people who were meeting those needs, which just kind of shaped her faith in the way she looks at life and therefore shaped mine too. Uh, St. Louis, uh, it's a little different there. Uh, I would say I don't love hockey or baseball, but I've been to some great Blues games and Cardinals games. Uh, they are in St. Louis, and I've probably made more road trips to St. Louis than any other city in the country uh, for retreats or visiting friends or just looking for something to do. Um, Minneapolis. I once came to Minneapolis in January, and there were like two or three feet of snow. <laughs> and uh, you guys introduced me to new sports I didn't even know existed. Uh, broom ball? Broom ball, right? Everywhere else I've ever lived, there's like outdoor basketball courts or tennis courts. But in Minneapolis, there's outdoor hockey rinks or ice rinks. And you have your own sport. You have these special shoes that give you traction on the ice. And you go hit the ball around. It looked like a great time. It was really cool. It's new to me. Uh, I came back to Minneapolis in April. And guess what? There were two feet of snow there too. <laughs> January, April. And so for that, I got to say, the people of Minneapolis, I have a special respect for you. <laughs> the fact that you lived through that and still are happy, you're just special people, special people. <clears throat> so I feel like I have bond with many of you. I've actually probably visited two-thirds of your campuses at some point in my life. I've been working with Campus Outreach for 20 years. Um, I don't have a cool nickname like, uh, what was it, Pastor D? Pastor D, Yeah. But I did remember when he was talking, when I used to work here at IUPUI, a college campus here in Indianapolis, and would spend time at Ball Hall, uh, sharing with some guys there, that they came up with a nickname for me behind my back <laughs> that I didn't find out about until later. They called me Preacher Pat because I'd come around talking about God. It was never in a positive. It was like, oh, man, here comes Preacher Pat. You know, quick, close your door. Preacher Pat's going to talk to us about God. So that's not a nickname I actually uh, appreciate. I'd, I'd be glad to forget that one. I don't need you to call out, come on, Preacher Pat, like uh, Pastor D. That's my closest thing. But I wouldn't want to tell you that 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, I came to a campus outreach New Year's conference because a friend of mine, Brad, invited me. I had never done anything with campus outreach on campus at that point, uh, but it sounded like something fun to do over Christmas break. And I thought, it'd be good to learn about God. You know, maybe I'll be inspired or score some bonus points for good luck next year. So this sounds good. Let's do that. I went there and learned, heard the gospel, became a Christian, and my life has been changed ever since. Uh, I know there's some of you in the crowd that are, came in the same place, that maybe you were just invited by a friend. And a few days ago, you were leaving home and thinking, where, where am I going and why am I going to this thing? And I know some of those of you that came like that are going to leave tomorrow a new creation in Christ, ready to follow him for the rest of your life. Now, when I was here that 20 years ago at the conference, I kept wrestling with this question, what will it look like to follow Jesus? I believe that it was true, the things I was hearing taught, and I believe I needed to follow Jesus, but I was wrestling, what will it actually look like to follow him? I don't mean... What job will he lead me to or who my spouse will be or where will I live? I was wondering, what is it going to look like to follow Jesus with any job or with any spouse or living anywhere? What does it look like to follow him? Now, I can't tell you there is no script. Each one of your stories is unique. But I can show you some patterns, 
some themes of what it looks like to follow Jesus that we can learn from and help interpret our path. So we're going to look at a gospel account tonight, similar to what we've been doing the last few days. We're going to look at the gospel of Mark. Now, the gospels are eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life, and they're worth reading and rereading and rereading, because when you read them, you get to see Jesus in action. You really get to see him. So we're going to look at Mark. My friend already read part of it. We're going to look at one story, but it has two different parts, and we're going to see a few things in this. And as we walk through it, we're going to start to understand, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, first, in this passage, we need to know this, that Jesus is Lord over the storms around us. Jesus is Lord over the storms around us. So at this point in this passage, Jesus has some disciples, right? There's these guys who have committed to following him. They want to learn from him and see him in action. And so they're following him, and he decides, all right, now we're going to go across the sea to a new land. So they hop in a boat, start rowing, and then bam, storm, a fierce storm, right? Uh, it, we know it was a fierce storm because all right, these guys think they're dying, right? They say, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? So a couple of these guys were lifelong fishermen, so they were experienced in the sea, and experienced fishermen don't think they're going to die just because it's raining, right? So we know that this storm was intense. When was the last time that you were in a, a real fierce storm? Some of these storms can be frightening even if you're inside. You know, when it's so bad that the thunder hits and you can feel the wall shake, or when the lightning strikes and it literally light up, lights up the whole sky, or you can look outside and see the trees swaying, or maybe there's some floods starting to come. You've been in some of these storms before. Imagine a storm like that in a little boat, right? You and I would be scared too, right? You and I would be scared too. So it kind of makes sense. If there's a storm like this, that these guys would run to Jesus, right? See, they had followed him long enough, and they had seen him do some remarkable things. So they know he's able to do things. If we're in danger, we should run for him. We should run to him and say, help us. We've seen you do things for others. Do something for us. Now, in this passage, they go to Jesus. And surprisingly, though, he's asleep. He's asleep. The storm is raging. They're freaking out. Jesus is sleeping. Now, we're in a hotel room with probably three other people. How many of you have someone in your room that you feel like could sleep through a storm? You know, those people that you can literally shake them and they still stay asleep. There are a few of them out there. I've been in rooms with people like that. They usually are the loudest snorers. And you're like shaking them, quit snoring, quit snoring. And they're still sleeping, right? I have no idea if Jesus is a deep sleeper or if he just felt that peace, <laughs> right? But they go to Jesus and, and wake him up. Uh, but when they come to him, they don't just say, Jesus, help us. They take it a step further. They actually make an accusation, right? They didn't just say, Jesus, will you help us? They say, Jesus, don't you care? And at that point, they're making an accusation, an accusation. You see, we all regularly end up in places like this. We're committed to following Jesus, following him. And then he leads us somewhere that's hard, that's scary, that's uncomfortable, that we did, a place that we didn't want to go. And often when that happens, we start saying, don't you care? Or we are saying, if you did care, you wouldn't let me be here. So therefore, you don't care. Have, have any of you been in a storm like that recently? I would assume some of you have probably actually said that out loud. He just doesn't care about me. Have you seen what kind of place I'm in lately? And those of you who maybe didn't say it, but you've been murmuring it in your heart or wondering, don't you care? How did I end up in this place? 
How did I end up in this place if you care? Well, that's what they come to Jesus and say, right? And well, let's see what happens in the story, though. Uh, Jesus wakes up, hearing their request, and then he looks at the storm, and he just speaks, and the storm ends. All it takes. He says a word, storm over. Uncontrollable storm, Jesus speaks, it ends. It was right for them to run to Jesus when they were in their fear and facing something they couldn't control. And it's right for you when you're facing things that you can't control to run to Jesus because he can end it with just a word. But after that, then he turns to them, you, you notice, and he says, why are you still so afraid? Where's your faith? Now, again, they had seen him do some remarkable things already. And when you and I see Jesus work in our life, uh, that builds our faith. Or when we see Jesus working in someone else's life, or even when we read about Jesus working in someone's life, that strengthens our faith. And we store that faith up so that the next time we see a storm, we will say, well, when I was here, he did that. So maybe now that I'm here, he can do something again, right? We store that faith up. So the next storm still might be scary, but I won't be as afraid because I'll remember, hey, he's come for me before, and I know he's still with me. So that's what he's asking here. Jesus' question about your faith isn't about being scared. You see, they were scared of the storm, and they were scared that Jesus didn't care. That's the lack of faith. There's going to be tons of things in your life that happen that are scary. That's not a lack of faith. The lack of faith is when those storms come to turn to Jesus and say, you don't care about me. What we need to know is Jesus is going to lead us through some storms, and he's going to be with us. His presence changes the storm. We need to cling to him in those storms, not question why we're in the storm, cling to him in the storm. Okay? Now, if you go on, though, if you think about that, uh, Jesus wakes up, speaks, the storm's gone. You would think the disciples would be like hugging him or thanking him or high-fiving each other, something like that. But instead, the text says they were filled with great fear. Right? He just did what they wanted, rescued them, and now they're filled with fear, which is actually proper. You know, there's these passages in the Bible that talk about the fear of the Lord, and sometimes we feel confused by that. But here in this passage, you can make sense of it. There's this storm that's beyond their control that they're afraid of, but then there's this guy who can just speak and get rid of it. If the storm is scary, how much more intimidating is the guy that has control over it? You see, here's another way of looking at faith or understanding faith. Understanding faith is being willing to accept the presence of Jesus in your life, which thus assumes the loss of control. Or, say it like this, having faith in Jesus means being willing to live with Jesus, losing control, and having an unpredictable, irresistible force in your life. That can be scary. We want control. That's what faith is meaning. They're filled with fear. Well, we understand from this, Jesus is Lord of the storms. Jesus will lead us into storms. Cling to him. Now, this isn't in the text, but through some historical records, we've actually been able to piece together uh, what the disciples looked like when they got off the boat, right? You know, after a crazy storm, traumatic experience, we actually have a slide that shows a picture of what they looked like when they got off. Uh, where will Jesus lead me? Yeah, here it is. Yeah, this is kind of what it looked like when they got off the boat. 
Pretty interesting, huh? Uh, the, the things they can do with technology today is amazing. I don't know which one's Peter and which one's another guy. That's just some of the disciples, and they were pumped to get off that storm boat. We're going to read along in Mark. Our friend read Mark 4. We're going to read along in the passage. If you have a Bible, it's going to be up here. We're going, we've moved into Mark 5 now, but it's a continuation of the same story. It says this, They came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Uh-oh. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Picture it. The disciples get off the storm, off the boat, off the sea, thinking, I am so glad I'm off the water. Thank God I'm on the safe land. And then they look up. What? <laughs> a man who cuts himself night and day? No one can control him? You know, they were probably thinking, let's get right back on that boat and go back where we were, you know? But read along the passage. Next slide. Uh, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I abjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Cut him out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Uh, as we move along here, we're going to see Jesus not only is Lord over storms around us, but Jesus is also Lord over storms within us. This man was in terrible shape. Uh, he was a threat to himself and to his whole community. Just as that storm was raging around the disciples in the sea, this man had a storm raging within and destroying him. Now, I know there's some of you who may be saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait, unclean spirits? Demons? Are we really going there? Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, the Bible is not shy about the spiritual realm. There are forces at play beyond what you and I are seeing, okay? And the Bible's clear about that. A few years ago, I was actually studying through this book, The Gospel of Mark, and some commentary I found from a Bible study out of New Redeemer Church in New York was helpful to me. So we're going to step out of the story for a moment just to give us some perspective on unclean spirits or a demon. There's three points that I want to make here. We have slides to follow. First, demonic forces can explain the complexity of psychological problems. Depression, fear, anger, or inner numbness may be so profound and difficult to deal with because of the multiplicity and the interrelatedness of the many different roots and causes. There are possible physiological, psychological, moral, and demonic sources to our problems. In the Bible, demons can accuse and tempt and stir up and aggravate all the other factors, making our emotional dungeons very deep and double-locked. It's not saying, oh, there are no physiological or psychological reasons. It's just demons. 
No, it's not saying that. But it's also not saying it's only physiological or psychological. Sometimes there are demonic forces beyond that that aggravate and stir up so that there are dungeons are very deep and double locked. Another thing to consider. Second, demonic forces can help explain systemic social evil. Evil, unjust social systems can reign in a culture and have enormously evil and devastating effects. And yet, no single individual member of the oppressive system seems to be all that bad. There are indications in scripture that demons can stand behind institutions such as governments or nations and can produce evil effects through those systems and institutions. Again, it's not saying there there are no uh, responsible people causing some of these things. It's just demons. But it is saying it's not just individuals. Sometimes there are forces at, at work behind it that make it even worse. And you wonder, how did we get so stuck in this? How can so many people be so blind? Here's one answer. And then finally, we see here that the alternative to having Jesus as a master is to have some other false and enslaving power as a master. Not everyone is personally possessed by a demon like this man, but anything that we make into an ultimate value, our career, our image, our success, becomes a master and begins to exercise enslaving power over us. In the case of maybe career idolatry, it begins to drive us to overwork, deceives our minds into denying how much we're working, even as we begin to erode the strength of our family, our relationships, and our own health. Just a few things to think about as we look at this text when there's an unclean spirit. Back into the story. This man is not in good shape, right? This man has some serious problems. He's not just sick. He just doesn't have an emotional scar and lashing out. No, he has an unclean spirit that's tormenting him. But when this unclean spirit sees Jesus, it knows it's met its match. It doesn't attack Jesus. It doesn't try to confront Jesus. It begs for mercy. It knows it's met its match. And just as Jesus came to the storm that was wreaking havoc and ended it with the word, he ends it with the word for this man as well. And then these forces, these inner unclean spirits, they were trying to destroy the man. When they leave the man, they just go to another being and try to destroy it too. Why do the pigs die? Because the unclean spirits just want to bring death and destruction. When they leave the man, they go destroy something else. What you need to understand from the passage is that they are seeking destruction, but Jesus ends it with a word, with just a word. So we see this pattern. We encounter storms around us that are uncontrollable. Jesus ends it. We control. We encounter storms within that are uncontrollable. Jesus ends it with a word. Jesus comes to rescue us from this. This should give us tremendous encouragement because we will keep facing storms within with varying degrees of anxiety and varying degrees of depression or addiction or just deep scars and wounds from our past that make us feel guilty or ashamed or struggling to feel like, do I really have value? Do people really love me? Oftentimes, these storms raging within are worse because no one even knows what's going on. We look at you and you just look like a normal person, but sometimes there's these storms raging within. We see this text and we see the story and you need to know that you can run to Jesus with those storms too and that he can end it and that he can be with you. He will be with you even as they rage and knowing he's with you can help you free, be free from that. I love this passage in a, a book that gives a little description of, of Jesus's life and it says this, Jesus is like a walking 
talking garden of Eden, like a sphere of paradise on earth. With him, wrongs are righted, darkness is dispelled, and everything that's twisted gets smoothed out. That's what's going on. As Jesus encounters darkness, he's bringing the garden of Eden back and fixing things. Let's follow along with the passage, see what happens. After Jesus heals the man, what happens? Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. A lot of people begging Jesus in this passage for different reasons. Right? The people run into town. makes sense. If you see something crazy, you go, you tell your friend. You've got to come see this. And people hear this, and they think, you're li- you lying. There's no way that man is different. So they come out to see, and there he is, calm. Storm, calm. And just like the disciples in the storm, they're more afraid of Jesus than they were the threat. This man was terrorizing their community. Now he's safe. They look at Jesus, the one who ended it, and they're more afraid of him. Remember, having faith in Jesus is being willing to live with Jesus, which means losing control and having an unpredictable, irresistible force in your life. These people look at Jesus and think, wait a minute, if he can do that, what if he turns around to me and talks to me? What if he makes a call on my life? What if he asked me to do something or give up something or follow or something and do I don't want to do? If he has that kind of power, I'll have to listen. I'd rather flee. So the same theme here is true like with the disciples. Basically what's going on, he, he doesn't, they don't believe that he cares. Right? You have this power, but I'm afraid you're not going to use it for my good. You won't have my best interest in mind if I'm around you and the power that you have. Same theme. So now we've seen Jesus is Lord over storms around us. Jesus is Lord over storms within us. We're still asking this question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Finally, we're going to see that Jesus leads us through storms to rescue others from the storm. Follow along in the passage, verse 18. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons, um, had been possessed with demons, begged him, again begging, that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. They had only been in this land for a very short time. They got off the boat, did some work, got back in the boat. This man comes to Jesus with a reasonable request, right? Jesus, you just saved my life. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Can I come with you? And Jesus says, no. He says, I want you to follow me here. I want you to follow me, but I want you to follow me by staying here and live a regular type life in this local community where you're from. And you are going to keep telling your friends and family how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And you are going to be a physical representation to them of the power and the mercy of God. A living representation. Just like Jesus is this walking, talking Garden of Eden, you are going to be another example of that. They're going to see your life and know 
For the rest of their life, if they ever wonder, can Jesus help me? Can Jesus forgive me? They're going to look at you and know, yes, he can. So I need you to follow me here. I came all the way here for you, but I want to rescue others through you. Follow me here. That's what Jesus is calling. And for you and I, this is a picture of what following Jesus will look like. You can expect these same patterns for your life. We're going to jump to two other quick little passages just so I can confirm to you that it's not a one-time scenario, but it is a repeating pattern. We're going to look first at um, Philippians 1, 23 to 25. says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I will stay, and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You know, Paul loves God. He loves Jesus. And he's like, this life is hard. And there are a lot of storms. So in some ways, it feels like it'd be easier and better just to skip the storms and be with Jesus. But I know God wants me here. And I know my staying here is going to result in joy of others knowing Christ. So I'm good. I'm going to follow Jesus right here. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Again, Paul says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You see, God is leading us in triumphal procession. When Jesus led those disciples onto that island, he didn't come in stealth mode. He came as a king. He didn't come hiding from the demon. He said, it's over. When he's leading you into the world, he's leading you as a king. And when you're going about your business, you're not just accidentally ending up in those places. Jesus is leading you as a conquering king into new territory, and he's spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of himself everywhere through you, through you. J.I. Packer, who's a passed away now, he's a pastor and a theologian, says, uh, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness bearing. Just like what's going on with this man. I need you to stay here and follow me, faithful Christian living and witness bearing. Tell them about my work and mercy. And you're going to bring and make the invisible kingdom visible. They see what it looks like. They're having the knowledge of God spread around just by your existence around them. That's what God wants from us. He's leading us into these places. And you notice how it says that we are the aroma of Christ. To some it's an aroma of life and some it's an aroma of death. Right? When Jesus was revealing himself to the disciples, they were afraid, but it was life. We want to follow. The people in the village, the aroma of Christ, the aroma of God, death, get away from us. The same thing happens to you. You will be a representation to remind people God is real, eternity is real, and some people are going to feel that and say, I want, I need that. This is what I, I'm looking for. Others are going to say, stay away. Stay away. My friend Brad uh, chose to join my fraternity. He was following Jesus, and he believed following Jesus was leading him. I'm going to join this fraternity. I'm going to enter a dark place. 
I'm going to make the invisible kingdom visible in this dark place. And it was a dark place. Like we, you know, we were involved in plenty of activity. It was unhealthy. We didn't just involve ourselves in it. We boasted of it. We want to do it to the, the greatest extent and, you know, to more often than anyone. And we were one of a few places on campus that's known, hey, if you want to involve in this kind of lifestyle, go here. We'll welcome you all. And Brad chose, following Jesus, to enter that dark place, to bring light, to make the invisible kingdom visible. And it wasn't easy. We were not nice to him. (laughs) He was too religious, not because he was pushy or judgy or condemning, just because he loved God and he was the aroma of Christ. So to many of us, he was the aroma of death. But to a few of us, he became the aroma of life. And a few of us trusted in Christ and started following him. I wonder where Jesus is going to lead you this semester. Who's going to be living in the dorm with you this semester? Who's going to be in class with you? Who's going to join your Greek organization or other organization or team? Who's going to be sitting in the dining hall two weeks from now when you sit down to eat a cheeseburger? I wonder where he's leading you. I've been working on a campus for 20 years, and I can tell you story after story after story of Jesus leading people into places to rescue out of others out of the storm. I wonder where he's going to lead you. Soon, you're all going to graduate, and you're going to get different jobs and live in places all over the world, maybe even, definitely the country. I wonder where Jesus is going to lead you there. I wonder how he's going to use you to spread the aroma of himself in new areas. How he is going to be uh, making the invisible kingdom visible through you. And I got a, another quote here for you just to challenge the way you might think what that's going to look like. Like for this one, it really hits for those of you who are business majors and thinking about your career. Uh, Francis Schaeffer says this, If at each place where the employer was a Bible-believing Christian, the world could see that less profit was being taken so that the workers would have appreciably more than the going rate of pay. The gospel would have been better proclaimed throughout the whole world than if profits were the same as the world took and then large gifts given to the Christian schools, missions, and other projects. Point being this, there, when you think about what's it going to be look like to follow Christ as a nurse, as a teacher, as this, as that, Uh, We think about way too simplistically. We think, oh, be honest, don't stab others in the back, tell them I'm a Christian, and then do basically life like everyone else does, but just honestly, and then, but give some money to missions. But what would it actually look like to do your profession as you're following Jesus? This Francis Schaeffer saying, what if you made less, but instead of paying your employees $15 an hour, you paid them $30 an hour and you just made less? The gospel would be expanded more. People would see the invisible kingdom more visibly if you just lived sacrificially. I want you guys to think about every profession. Don't just think, be honest in my profession. What would it look like to follow Jesus in my profession and make the invisible kingdom visible there? Maybe it even means like, I'm not just going to live in a a place where there's new houses and high property rates and good schools, but maybe I'm going to move a two miles over where there are needy schools so I can invest in unstable neighborhoods so I can bring stability. That's what Jesus would do 
But you got to think, I'm following Jesus in place. I'm not just doing life in an honest way. If you don't understand this, life is really confusing. The disciples easily could have said, wait a minute. Jesus leads us to dangerous people. He leads us to dangerous places. Why am I following Jesus? (laughs) But you and I see the big picture. We know he's leading us places to rescue others. And he does it. Many Christians will say, yeah, I know, I I read my Bible, I pray, I worship. These are natural things involved in a Christian life, but spreading the gospel is something I'm not sure I'm that involved in. But they're just confused. If you're living in a neighborhood, if you're in a class, if you're in an organization, Jesus has already led you there, and he's already making the invisible kingdom visible through you, whether or not you know it or not. You just need to be faithful to telling them what the Lord has done, and I said mercy on you, and follow him there. Let people see that you love him by following him there. Here's another confusing example. All you guys last night learned about summer projects uh, that your regions are offering. I went on a summer project the summer before my senior year of college. And since I was about to graduate, I felt like I really needed some more professional development. I wanted an internship. So I went down to Panama City where we had our project. I went down there on spring break and went door to door at law firms passing out resumes so I could try to get a job. I wanted to go to their summer project, but I needed a good job. So I go down spring break, pass out resumes door to door, land a job. Pray up, ready to go to project, faithful, committed. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm making sacrifices, but he's providing for me. I got this great job and get to learn about God. I show up to my internship for the summer. Day one, they tell me, oh, wait, wait. Uh, we, we actually gave that job to somebody else. <laughs> uh, there's a lady we know who's actually in law school, so she's qualified. We gave her your job, so you don't have a job. I don't know why they didn't tell me until I showed up. That's the real question here, <laughs> you know. Uh, but they said, you know what, we'll, we'll do this. We'll let you work in the office two days a week if you'll be a maintenance man the other three days of the week, you know. So I thought I was getting an internship for law, and I'm a maintenance man. Uh, so I and literally, I would do landscaping. I would do remote storage in this building in some other part of the town. One day I had a catalog possessions of a dead person's house. I mean, some real. Okay. Uh, so I'm doing really crazy things. It would have been very easy for me to say, wait a minute, Jesus, I'm following you. Well, how'd this happen? But. At that point, I was trusting him, so I thought, this is where he wants me. This is, this is good. This is what I'll do. Well, that girl who took my job had a ton of questions about God. And so we started talking early on. And through the summer, we would talk often about what the Lord has done in my life and how he's had mercy on me. And by the end of the summer, she trusted in Christ. It doesn't make sense why I'm at this job and don't get the job. Oh, unless I understand, Jesus leads me to strange places because he wants to rest with mother. I've got a, one more quote here from the Trellis and the Vine says, it's a book, it's a really good book. If this is really what God is doing in our world, then it's time to say goodbye to our small, self-oriented ambitions and to abandon ourselves to the cause of Christ and his gospel. God has a plan that will determine the destiny of every person and nation in the world, and it is unfolding here and now as the gospel of Christ is preached and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Is there anything more vital to be doing in our world? I just gave you an example of how you can do this yourself. We just walked through a story about Jesus. You could easily do the same thing with a friend. You don't need to get caught up on 
I need a Bible study with outlines and fill in the blanks. Or I need a three-step presentation to call someone to trust their eternal significance on the spot right now. You can just say to your friends, hey, would you just read a story with me from the Bible? And just read a paragraph about Jesus' life and let them wrestle with Jesus. They may read this passage with you and say, what about this and what about that? And you can say, I don't know. Uh, But what will they walk away with? Jesus has power. Jesus can overcome storms. Jesus must have cared about that guy. You can easily do this. This is the best way you can share Christ with other people. Can I just show you a story about Jesus? Let them ask any question to you that you can't answer and let them make any objection that they want to make, but let them see Jesus and let him do his own work through his word. One more quote from the Trellison Divine. We plant and water, but God gives the growth. This can happen individually, in small groups, in large groups. It can happen over the back fence, over dinner, or morning tea at church. However, despite the almost limitless number of contexts in which it might happen, what happens is the same. A Christian brings the truth from God's word to someone else, praying that God would make that word bear fruit through the inward working of his spirit. Not every storm that we face will be fierce. Most storms will be small, a stressful course load, uh, difficult responsibilities, uh, inconvenient health and financial issues. Even small storms are storms, though. Sometimes the small storms are more dangerous because the big ones we know are desperate. We run to Jesus, and when the small storms come, we just complain or worry, right? Storms are going to come. Run to Jesus. There will be severe storms. Not every place he leads us is going to be overtly dark. Most places he leads us are going to be places where there's just nice people trying to live their best life, trying to control their circumstances to find their happiness they're looking for. But sometimes you will be led into dark places. My friend, Brad, passed away this month. He battled brain cancer for four years. And through those four years, he was still an amazing testimony of God's work and mercy. Down to his last days, he was still telling people about God's work and mercy. He again has had a profound impact on my life and many others, even in the end. Brad followed Jesus through many storms and built his faith there, so when the final storm came, he was ready. Brad entered into dark areas on his own so that when the ultimate darkness came, he was ready. The disciples cried out, Lord, don't you care? And Jesus answered that emphatically at the cross. Jesus, at the cross, took the ultimate storm within, sin, upon himself. All of our sin, he became it took it on. And then he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The disciples in the boat feared that God had forsaken him, but he did not forsake them. But when Jesus took on sin, he was forsaken. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. And Jesus took that storm on himself and then faced the ultimate storm without death. He died a physical death on the cross for you and me. But Three days later, he rose, and then he ascended to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, 
so that you and I can have confidence that he's not just Lord over nature and Lord over the supernatural. He is Lord over sin. He is Lord over death. And though we are going to live in a world that has storms, he will never forsake us and we will never have to leave his presence. When the ultimate storm does come for us, we can know we will spend eternity with him. We won't be like the demoniac saying, let us be with you. And he says, stay. He says, stay for a while, but eventually be with me forever. Please pray with me. Father God, thanks for this time tonight. Thanks for these stories. God, help us understand our life. You are leading us. You are with us. There will be storms, but you are with us. Help us to cling to you and help us to make the invisible kingdom visible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conycindy.com.